You are listening to the In Context Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the In Context Podcast. Today I'm joined by my friend Steve Walker, a pastor and church planter at Hope, church, Hope Community Church, Middleton. I'm not going to re-record that bit, I've already fluffed it up once, but it's Hope <laughs> Church, Middleton. And uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, anxiety. Uh, it, it's the day after Freedom Day. I'm extremely happy, I'm extremely buzzing to be able to meet with friends, uh, yet there's lots of people who are anxious at the thought of no masks and people meeting up. So, uh, Stephen, uh, what's been your experience of, of, of anxiety? How have you found this last uh, last year? It's been a, a crazy kind of year, hasn't it? Yeah, 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 crazy, no one can deny that. Good to see you, mate. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so... Uh, anxiety kind of these these kinds of issues is something I've struggled with since basically as long as I remember really as a kid um, and yeah it's a bit crazy because you, you spend so much of your time trying not to be anxious and um, basically the world has been telling you be anxious everywhere you go when the shops reopened and stuff there's you know I mean my, my skin's a red skin red raw with um I mean, to sanitize and, and all this dry skin coming off and stuff. Um, because, yeah, people are saying, like, you need to sanitize to come in here. You need to do this. You need that. You need to be anxious. You need to stay safe. You need to watch this and watch that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's quite difficult. The thing that you, you've you been trying to, something that you try and manage in your life is now front and center. And, uh, yeah, being made a bit harder, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it's strange. And... The anger it provokes within different people, and uh, if if you look at Twitter, even Christian Twitter, there's so many people divided on whether we should mm. lock down or open, whether we should wear masks or bin the masks. And I think last year for for, for my community, for 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 Middlesbrough and the majority of the working class and and those living on council estates, anxiety was high when most of the employees were cleaners in the hospital or nurses mm. or shop workers and they didn't have the PPE and then the rest of the country seemed to be on holiday they were getting full pay sat in the back garden buying sun lounges and uh, hammocks <laughs> loving yeah. life working from home with a laptop in the garden with their with their ice lattes or whatever and then it was the working class who were really struggling who were at work 12 hours a day on the front line yet weren't allowed to see the mum single mm. mums coming home having to shower three times petrified of giving the children covid and and then the other half of the country was like sunbathing and then role reversal now these people who have been on the front line for the last year are quite happy to get rid of the masks are thinking i've been risking my life at work so why shouldn't i risk my life in a beefer and, yeah. so, yeah. and then there's other people who have been protected working from home petrified of of, of getting on the train or uh, mm. having to go back into the office so yeah, everyone's been affected by it. I don't think your, your culture or your class or where you live has avoided it. I think it's just come at different times, hasn't it? So how mm. have you found it in your community? What's it like where you are? Yeah, it's a bit of a mix, really. So like you see, you, you can see there's a lot of anxiety, particularly at the start. It's a lot of um, people wearing masks, like even uh, in their own cars and, and walking around and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, um, and particularly as time wore on, um, social distancing kind of went out the window. So when we had some of the rules coming in saying that yeah, you could have six people in your house, the people that I was chatting to was like, well, that's been going on for months. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, all like big deal type thing. So, um, so you've got that, I think. And, and I think as well, there's, um, it's very easy, like say, to demonize people and get angry about it. But we're very blessed you know i own a car i can drive and, and go places i can go for walks where i can um i've got you know people that i can go and see for some people their community is like their next door neighbor and they they can't go off for a nice walk somewhere during lockdown or whatever uh potentially i mean it's a bit different for us because we've got a great park in middleton but um yeah so for some it was kind of like well yeah it's not to condone breaking rules and stuff, but when you're on your own and your your only kind of community is your next door neighbour and you've got nowhere else to go, um, and 
perhaps you don't have a lot of money so you, you can't do online shopping and etc um to kind of get things in to cheer you up or whatever or um yeah then that's that's what some people have done but yeah certainly see that with the particularly at the start the frontline workers um yeah it just yeah particularly the supermarkets i think they were kind of they're, they're, them and teachers i think were really unsung heroes i think during um during the, during the pandemic but it is interesting okay, for us as you know helen was a teacher um at the start of the pandemic and it was just funny because she was going in as normal for the key worker children and stuff and she came home and i was like you know and she, she was just like look at you, you this what you're doing this is a bit odd because i was just a little bit more cautious than that and uh and then uh and then it became quickly apparent that she wouldn't be needed in every day and they went to a rotor system uh and so she had two weeks on two weeks off and and after two weeks off with me and then going back she was like oh i see what you were like <laughs> i see why you were like that now because obviously she just had to get on with stuff uh, and you know we, we've got a couple of medics as well in in our church as you know and, and for them they were like yeah i don't know they, they, obviously it stuck to the rules but they were like if people could see what we're doing in hospitals it's like you know <laughs> as in like you're walking through a door and you just right face to face to someone you, you're not gonna or you need to give someone treatment you're not gonna stand there with a two meter pole and and you know so uh, there's that as well um so yeah there's a, a a differing uh kind of experience there as well particularly at the start of pandemic i think and one of the things that mace mcconnell mentioned when we were chatting earlier in the year could have been even last year these these <laughs> Two years we just bled it so i'm not sure what year it was but it was during the pandemic during lockdown he said that the government were talking about this mental health emergency mm. and mess basically said well welcome to our world this mm. is you it's it's highlighted and, and mm. i think some positives will come out of this that mental health anxiety depression were things that were kind of ignored and seen as if you've got that problem you crack on with it but now yeah. there seems to be uh, a huge shift in people mm. being concerned about mental health. They, they almost seem to have it on a par now with, with your physical health, which is, which is good. Uh, so for me and for you, anxiety didn't just ping up in uh, lockdown, did it? it, it it's something that uh, you in particular have dealt with for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, and it's anything political, but, you know, it is... Uh, from my experience, mental health services have been underfunded or whatever for, you know, since I've been alive. Um, I think when I was, it staggered me when I was kind of, um, how old would I be? It would have been about 15, 16 years ago. And um, I didn't even know you could have counselling on the NHS. But um, at that point, someone said about that and um, they were like, they told me how long it was. I think at the time, I can't remember what it was. It was like four or five week wait just to see someone. So I was like, I remember at the time thinking, so basically if I say I'm going to do myself in, you're going to say, right, you can wait around for five weeks and someone will come and see you. Uh, or you can go and see someone. So it's just, that just staggered me at the time. Um, uh, and yeah, recently, I mean, I, I don't know what it is like now. I mean, waiting this is probably really long, but to see someone in person, I was told, uh this year in january eight months was the waiting list um for uh to go and see to go and see someone face to face so you could uh get kind of like msn treatment on the nhs so where you kind of uh you message someone on a keyboard you don't speak to anyone and then they message you back you can get that quite quick in a few weeks time but if you want to see someone for counseling on zoom or in person it's like eight months or something in leads that back in january so um yeah so one of the gps said to me that yeah if you want counseling really you yeah go private and so again that kind of highlights the issues mental health services they're doing a great job doing their best on the front line it's not their fault but um at the same time yeah that highlights the the issue doesn't it in terms of people in our context like to get a counselor going rates from like 45 50 quid an hour pretty standard I'm told for a 50 minute session. Um, I, you know, I'd struggle to do that on my wage, let alone, you know, if I'm on there, yeah, if I'm a single parent, I'm 
on a living wage or something, it's just not going to happen. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and again, in our context, it's it's so difficult, isn't it? So, so for me, I I suffered from anxiety from being a child, and mm. from the age of fourteen, started taking drugs, and I, I don't like the word self medicating because I never ever thought, oh, I'm taking these drugs to uh, help deal with my anxiety. I just took these drugs for a laugh, but during it, I found out I was never stressed. Uh, obviously, on my come down. <laughs> couple of days later, I'd be stressed. But then I just started taking drugs seven days a week and that solved that problem and alcohol. And So I'd be in the pub or with my mates off my face and, I, and I'd get counselling from them, which wasn't helpful because I'd say what I was struggling with and then they'd say, oh, like, just leave your missus or go and punch the bloke who's upset you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so uh, our context as well can, can, can lead and actually help uh, increase your anxiety so for me that the, the more bad mistakes I made while on drugs the more fearful and anxious I became the more drugs I took the more mistakes I made it was like a, a, an endless circle for me mm. without that proper support so if you weren't getting support uh, from the NHS how did you deal with your anxiety so for me I didn't realize I was anxious for a long time until I came off the drugs what was it like like for you? Because you never took drugs to. No, I mean, thank yeah. I mean, I had it drilled into me. I mean, I tried things, but I had it drilled into me from very young. You do not touch drugs, basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did try things and stuff, but it it, it wasn't really for me. Booze was was the thing for me later on uh, in life, but um, yeah. So going back, it's as long as I remember. So this is the thing. This has only really come out recently. Um, so, yeah, so for example, th this was nuts, right? So, you know, I was at City before we planted and we had a staff meeting. We we're going through some book or something together. And the discussion was around why don't we think about death more and, um, and eternal matters and stuff. And it was just sat there and it was one of the most bizarre experiences because people were going around the room going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, etc. giving their thing. And I was just like, it came to me and I was just like, I think about death every single day. I literally think about my own death every day. Um, usually when I wake up in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning, I will think about my death. And that was bonkers to me, honestly. That was only like two years ago or something. I found out no one else is like that. They're like, what are you talking about? You think about your death every day. Um, so anyway, yeah, it kind of came out um, through counselling and stuff. They were like, this counsellor was like, what's your earliest memory? And it kind of, it's not rocket science, but basically my earliest, I, I got pneumonia um, a couple of weeks before my third birthday. So my, the earliest memory I can remember is being in the hospital bed. And uh, apparently I nearly died. And so uh, ever since then, kind of death has obviously played a big part. And coupled with that as you know i was raised in a catholic household um so you know all the death is exactly yeah it's always there and it's in the hail mary prayer whatever be with us at the hour of thy death or something like that and um so that was said at, at our school like every day pretty much and so that that kind of filtered in so looking back on it now i mean if i was yeah if i was a kid now i think mental health services were involved you know it's nothing against my parents they didn't know but I just remember being in tears and being very scared of stuff and um they were just like oh he's he's a bit of a mummy's boy he misses he misses his mum his mum's left because you know my mum would leave me like drop me off at school and I'd just be distraught and they'd just be like oh you know he's he's just missing his mum you know some kids cry and stuff but anyway so that kind of went on um, I guess there's a lot of stuff, life happens to you, doesn't it, in, in some respects, and you don't really think about it, all the multitude of experiences that happen to you, uh, looking back, kind of uh, aspects of kind of intimidation, so I grew up on the edge of a council estate, so, uh, and then I went to a grammar school as well, so then I was a, a posh boy that people wanted to kick their head in of, and so there was a few kind of uh, threats and altercations there so I think that didn't help um, and like say you get a bit older um, got into going to the pub and stuff and then there was a few kind of uh, yeah experiences with that 
in terms of yeah you, you realize and in our contexts um you very quickly realize that the world is a very dangerous place much more than you know oh this stuff doesn't just go on on tv this is like you know pretty serious stuff so i think all of those things kind of all happening and i think it's just interesting we are in one sense we are very complex beings um and we are shaped by lots of different things that happen to us and then in another sense we're boringly predictable really and kind of when you dig down yeah there's a lot of stuff was like like i say with my early childhood memories like well no wonder you're obsessed with death and and stuff like that so um yeah so that's what it kind of was for me um and I think just I was a very and this is what I've kind of been learning about my heart um that in recent years it needs to be silent and quiet quietened so Psalm 131 um has been helpful to me in the last year um so when I was a kid I would lie in bed thinking about death and I would think about what was out there in space and stuff so I remember when I was four or five I just lie there thinking like is there an end of the world I'm trying to imagine what nothing was and all this kind of stuff just pretty nuts stuff really to be doing as a little kid um but yeah I've got here Psalm 131 says uh oh lord my heart is not lifted up my eyes are not raised too high I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me but I have calmed and quieted my soul and yeah, that's my battle. And I think the battle for anyone in anxiety really is, yeah, just calming and quieting and leaving things to God um, and calming and quieting your soul before him. Yeah, yeah. A busy head is how I describe it. I often say it to my wife, my head's busy again. That's the first thing I realise when I'm struggling is my head's going 100 miles an hour. And I think that's just the way I've dealt with stress in the past is to keep myself busy. Struggle to sleep on a night or like, like mm. a little baby who uh, has nursery rhymes to fall asleep to. I fall asleep to podcasts often uh, about two yeah. in the morning. Uh, so so what, what what did it look like for you pre-becoming a Christian? Because so for me, I was told men don't cry from a, an early age. Yeah, yeah similar thing if you wanted uh, affection from one of your parents you were seen as like a mammy's boy or it was seen as a weakness to to, to look for reassurance from a parent uh, it, yeah you were seen as weak if you shared your emotions and for me i was desperate to share things constantly but uh, you get mocked so that then provoked an anger in me so i, mm. I was quite angry often my anxiety would lead to me either uh, being violent or, or being risk-taking. It's amazing what you said about death from an early age, because I remember when I was about 13, cutting my hand on uh, some barbed wire on the way to school and petrified that I was going to die of AIDS. Mm. And so, same thing, from a young age, that I was going to die of something, whatever uh, whatever illness was around on the on the news at the time, whether it be AIDS or whatever, it was. I was convinced I was going to get it. Every time I saw an advert about cancer, I'd su suddenly get the symptoms. Yeah. And like, hypochondria was a great thing. Uh, but then, to combat that, I'd go and do ridiculous, reckless things like drink obscene amounts of alcohol, which could have put most people in a coma, or take drugs. And So mm. I was very reckless in dealing with my anxiety. Mm. Uh, I, it, didn't, it didn't make sense, the things I was mm. doing. And then, when, so I didn't really think I was fearful of death because I was doing so many crazy things until I became a Christian. And then I stopped taking the drugs and drinking and all these things I was hiding behind. I suddenly started getting panic attacks. I'd be walking around Tesco and mm. uh, I was shopping full of, 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 of food and then I'd just have to leave. I felt sick and overwhelmed, like I was gonna pass mm. out. But my wife thought I was crazy and because I'd just say, right, we're going. And she was like, we've got, we haven't made the checkout yet, so we're going. And the, the amount of arguments we'd have because I was embarrassed to say, I'm frightened to shopping. Tesco. So mm. for me, becoming a Christian didn't make my life easier to start with. It became yeah. much harder. So what was it like for you? So first of all, uh, yeah, what led you to Christ? And then did, did becoming a Christian make your life easier, suffering from anxiety and mental health problems? 
Yeah. Well, wow. Yeah. So there's so much to unpack there. I, yeah. I, I resonate with resonate with that quite a lot actually, and 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 that's some of the madness, like I said, about us being complex beings in some sense as well. Wow. I, I was very similar growing up. So you you, you had the Blood Brothers thing. Do you remember that? Um, yeah, that yeah. You, oh, too old for that. Yeah. I remember getting warned about that at school. You do not do that. You know, it was all about AIDS and stuff. So like similar to you. And yeah, just this madness of. Um, yeah, being scared of death and uh, and all that, and being scared. Like even taking medication, I would reread like the dose on it. Have I taken? Have I taken like more? Have I already taken this tablet and forgotten? And now I'm going to overdose and stuff. Right. And then, like you say, and then yeah, yeah. Once I tried coke, and you know, goodness knows what someone's put in that, but I didn't think anything of it. And it was just like, yeah, it's just a madness. There's an irrationality behind it, I guess. Um. But yeah, so going to, I think, so this is one of the things where it took me a long time to like be thankful, if that makes sense, for um, my affliction. Um, without it, I would not have come to Christ. Uh, you know, it's something that God has used uh, for me. So it drove me. I, I remember going to counselling um, on the NHS um that was the thing which really kick-started it i think and uh, yeah this woman was pushing uh on me she kept asking this thing so um like one of the things i learned about cbt so cognitive behavioral therapy it's called something one of the things you can do is just keep asking why like keep asking you question why and try to get to the automatic thought they call it or, or whatever it is that there's something deep-seated that's behind it and anyway she kept asking me blah blah blah, blah. uh and then she said, right, but why does that matter? Yeah, because that was nuts. At the time, I was struggling to leave my house. And uh, there, there was this mad thing, right, where I remember walking down some park and some old lady coming the other way, and I thought she was going to attack me. And, you know, 6'3 or whatever, and I was doing weights and all that jazz at the time. Um, and, you know, I was scared of this little old lady doing me in. And anyway, came to it, and she was like, why is that above you? And I said, oh, death. And then she said, uh, right, but why does that bother you? And I said, because I'm going to go to hell. I, I know I've done loads of stuff that's wrong. And I always remember, she, she, I think she was some trainee or something. And she just sat there and went, right, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I'll check with my supervisor and get back to you. And then, uh, yeah, so it's one of those things where, um, yeah, and this, yeah, so that was the kind of, start really of getting down to it and I, I believed because my roman catholic upbringing and stuff um i believe there was a god and i knew about the bible and stuff so i thought right i better get right with god and obviously went off and thought you know let's find out all the good things that i need to do to kind of make make sense of things um but yeah actually that was one of the things we uh i then had another bout of counseling where she was like, right, we, we need to get you out of the house. What do you really want to do? And we'll, we've got a project. So there's two things that I wanted to do. Uh, one was, you know, this thing about church. And I kept walking by City Evangelical, it was, on my way to work. So I kept getting the urge to go in, but I didn't know anyone. And I was really anxious, obviously. I'm anxious as an old lady in the park, you know what I mean? So going into a church building you can't even see into was an issue. <laughs> and then the, um, the other... The other option, the other thing I was interested in because of my mate, he was really into um, mixed martial art. He was basically a cage fighter in his spare time. And um, yeah, so that was it. So it was basically going to a, a mixed martial arts class uh, and looking at cage fighting and stuff or going to church. <laughs> Which one are you going to choose? So I chose church. I went for the harder option. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and so that was my homework. I remember it was my homework for about two or three weeks, basically right go to this church and every Sunday I wake up and go well, I'm going to go and then go didn't go and then yeah once just got to a point where I was just like I'm going to go in and uh you know then I heard the gospel that day the first time I got it and first you know obviously there's so much behind that you know in terms of pre-knowledge or whatever but that's the first time to my knowledge that I actually heard the gospel and I was like that's too good to be true that nah, can't be right etc so that was kind of what drove me um to it um drove me to christ and i guess 
that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate, as I mentioned to you before. I, I've said for years now, not to my own horn, but I'm con I'm convinced because of my experiences I've for years now that it's potentially this is going to be a big mission field for the church's mental health in the UK, just because there's so many people struggling with it. And then when the social media stuff kicks in with Facebook, people were getting more and more depressed. Like the waiting lists were getting longer when I was looking for stuff. More and more people were taking tablets and like prescriptions were going up for this kind of stuff. Um, and it's just just a big issue. And there's no, yeah, it's, it's pretty hard for people to get an answer or, or help. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, that is gonna be uh, an important thing for us going forward, um, really. It didn't, it didn't make, obviously becoming a Christian didn't make things go away um, at all. In fact, I don't know, in some sense, so it made sense, it made sense of the world, made sense, obviously Christian worldview, why you're suffering, why this stuff was going on. Um, but yeah, I think some of the things which is quite hard to, I remember one, yeah, dear sister, you know, in, influential in, in me coming to faith and she gave me some kind of wise counsel uh, in some sense. She said, right, just, just be careful who you tell um, in the church that you're depressed or, or whatever. Uh, and yeah, don't go around telling people that you're on uh, antidepressants because there's some in the church that would disagree with that and think it's really wrong they might say something unhelpful and yeah she wasn't being horrible I think it's just a wise thing but I think that's always stuck with me I think that's why it's hard I mean like you say growing up I mean yeah exactly the same thing mate where it's like growing up blokes don't cry you big girl's blouse stop stop crying uh I mean obviously you took that advice the other way now and you're kind of making up for your time um but yeah so it's this kind of manhood is very much like you know and so that that's in the background there's stuff you know growing up as well do you remember stan collymore yeah remember yeah. him and it, yeah when he came out in depression it was on the sun or something i always remember as a kid and they were like what on earth does this guy have to be depressed about and it was like all about his salary and all that jazz that is still around today i think um you still see that kind of stuff around um so yeah, I guess so. Again, I, I'm not going to get into the whole thing, and I, I don't know really anything about the whole Meghan Markle stuff, but that was one where it's like, be honest. Because I've said no to you before, and I, with this podcast in terms of anxiety, because I don't really want to talk about it and share it with people. But I'm getting to a stage now where I just think it's going to, if it's going to be helpful to someone, and uh, God can use it. But yeah, that was one of the times I was wrestling around that was that whole Meghan Markle thing came out, and uh, yeah, who knows what's true or whatever only god does and, and her but but yeah people are saying be honest be honest it'll be fine and then like the backlash against that oh she didn't have mental health problems blah blah blah, blah. and then you're like all right okay maybe i won't be honest <laughs> do you know what I mean? um and then just being a pastor as well you know even doing this it's just like yeah there'll be people i'm sure you'll be like you know what you can't come and preach to me about anything because you haven't got enough faith or whatever you struggle with anxiety who knows what people think but that's it isn't it, 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 it. so I, I was saved into a charismatic church <clears throat> probably bordering on wealth health prosperity so when I shared my struggles I was told I was either uh, I needed deliverance because I had a demon or <laughs> I had lack of faith and then as I'm studying and growing in my faith I, I become more reformed and then start more conservative reformed evangelical churches and then uh, then they're against well not everyone obviously but then we started encountering christians and leaders who discourage you from taking tablets that again mm -hmm. they weren't coming from a, the kind of wealth health prosperity background but they were coming against that you shouldn't need medication that you should read your bible that you should pray more that you should trust in god more. i mean mm -hmm. so basically from one end of the spectrum, from like wealth, health, prosperity <laughs> to reformed uh, conservatism, the, it was the same thing. Basically, it was either works-based, or, mm. or it was uh, you, you've got a lack of faith. And it, again, looking at that, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be ill, you shouldn't be struggling. I've never heard anyone say in the conservative 
reformed churches that you shouldn't take medication for cancer or you shouldn't have an operation yet there's there's a there, there was i hope things are changing now it seems to be but there was a lot of uh, people saying that if you were taking medication that mm. it was a lack of faith and it was the wrong thing to do yeah so that that was your experience too. Is is like it shows common then, doesn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, no one ever said to me. No one. I don't think anyone's ever said. Well, this is the thing. So in, in church, no one has ever said to me, "You shouldn't take. You shouldn't take." Now, it's interest. This is what interests me as well. With my experience, is GPs clearly have a different view as well on this kind of stuff. Um, I've moved around a bit, had various different GPs. You'll get some GPs who like, like this is the answer. And I've had people who are like, why are you on this? Um, you're still young. We need to get you off this. Um, um, and stuff like that. So, and obviously that, you know, <laughs> to an anxious person, I'm like, I guess it's like the vaccines now. I'm like, what, what do they know that you know, <laughs> I don't know? Do you know what I mean? Because you go to one doctor and they're, oh, no, they're absolutely safe, you know, absolutely fine and stuff. And uh, yeah, just to be clear, yeah, it seems that way. Um, but but yeah, when someone starts saying to you, no, you shouldn't be, you know, let's try and get you off these and stuff. Um, yeah, so you get you get this weird thing where some GPs, they, they will hand out like Smarties. Um, and, and that's the thing. If, you, if people are listening to this and they're struggling, you know, I'd say go to GP, but it's a mixed bag, um, you know, um, you know, I've been to a GP in a terrible state before and uh, yeah, it was just this guy, I mean, to be fair to him, he, he gave me some website to look at, but he, he basically said, right, yeah, he just wrote me out a script of some pills and just said, oh, look at this website and that was it. And then you get which isn't really yet to be fair any good really um and then um not when you got someone in that state but then similarly <clears throat> then the next time i was like well, i'm going to a different gp same problem about four weeks later she was amazing uh massively helpful so you know there's there's a mixed bag really in terms of outside the church as well on this um and yeah, I think what is really helpful, actually, I'm probably slightly going off tangent. We'll come back to it, hopefully, if my brain allows me to. But yeah, there's, there's a thing called, uh, so David Paulison, um, the CCEF guy, and uh, he talks about upstream and downstream psychiatry. Uh, and I've heard him say before about this is kind of upstream, which is like the academia around like antidepressants and stuff. And they actually have quite a bit of humility around it uh, in terms of, okay we don't know all the things we we just know that these things are helpful this part of the brain works this way for whatever reason this medication is helpful in that way but they've got humility in terms of there's aspects we, we don't know and then talks about downstream where you're more at a popular level so you know your mates in the club uh, potentially who aren't going to tell you you know stiff upper lip and all that and you've got your some of your GPs and nurses who are like, this is the answer. So there, there is a, um, in terms of medication and that, and that's why it's just such a minefield. Even, so it's within the church in terms of a minefield around mental health and views on medication stuff. But then you've got outside the church as well, there's this, this whole minefield as well, and people disagree on various things as well, which is interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, this is the thing. So I, I think the key thing is as well for churches and for pastors, um it makes you feel like a rubbish christian right to, to the point where you are like am i even a christian at all and the amount of um people that so this is mad so i preached um i, I don't know what it was I, I preached on something maybe it was john 10 or something it was something about eternal security and i mentioned about oh you know uh, if you're like me you, you've probably had the thought before you know, am I even a Christian type thing? Am, am I saved? Am I one of the elect? Something like that. There was a guy who I think was saved in his teens and he was in his 60s. He came up to me after the sermon and he said, oh, wow, that's the first time I've met someone who struggles with that or has thought that thought. And that was absolutely staggering. And I've been, you know, a pastor for about five minutes. I tell you, since then, the number of people that have talked to me about struggling with assurance, all those kinds of things and um, people with 
probably with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder who, who struggle with the whole kind of um, uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, all that kind of, it's massive. There's a lot of people struggling with that, but they don't come forward because they think I'm the only Christian and it, and I must be a rubbish Christian. And it kind of, it's that vicious cycle. And that's one of the reasons why I'm just like, well, yeah, I'll just talk about it now and who cares? Because I think that's part of the issue. Yeah, I'm part of the issue. The fact that I'm so reluctant to talk about it, it means that other people just go, oh, he's pretty sorted. And, and well, I don't think anyone is thinking that, but yeah. 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 Again, neither is the pretending to be experts on anything. Oh, no. yeah. All we know is the struggles yeah. we've had uh, with anxiety, with, with issues as, as uh, unbelievers, as believers, and now as pastors, it, it's something that we, we struggle with. And, and on different levels and at different times. Mm. And I think one of the biggest problems is uh, we can dismiss mental health and anxiety and, 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 and things like that, and, or, or we can overindulge it. So there's a, a difficult balance, isn't there? Because mm. like with any illness, there's, we're still sinners. And, yeah, yeah. And for me, I wouldn't like to say anxiety has never caused me to sin. But when I'm anxious, the way I react to it is often quite sinful. Uh, for me, it's, I think it's like the fight or flight. I either get really passive <clears throat> and because and, and I'm uptight, snap at people, or I just retreat and don't come out of my room for uh, <laughs> a few days. I think personally, I, I prefer it when I retreat because it, it doesn't seem as bad when you're not snapping at people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think when you're snapping at people, it's it's highlighted quite easily that you're sinning here. But if you're just feeling sorry for yourself and you lock yourself away, then. Mm. But what what I found is when I snap, if I'm anxious and I snap, I can repent pretty quick on that because it's obvious. The problem for me is if I feel like retreating, I, I, there's no way out. Sometimes I'm in that room and and there's no way out, and I put the shutters down literally, and I and I and I just sit in the dark and. Fortunately, that's less and less and very rare now. But at some point in my my walk, when I was first married, it was, uh, oh, man, it, I'd, I'd disappear for days. And mm. how, how are we to disciple people? How are we to challenge people who we love, who we live with? Because uh, and, and at the end of the day, our, our, our sin is an excuse by our, if we've got cancer, and, and we shout at someone, that's no excuse. Do you know what I mean? If we've got mental health problems and we shout at someone, that is an excuse. So how can we uh, disciple people well and challenge people well when they're struggling? Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. Again, like you say, we're not pretending to be any experts here and there are people that will have tons of pastoral experience that can maybe uh, chime in on this better. Um, I think, yeah, it's important. I'm glad you brought up about the thing because anxiety can be sin right yeah so you know there's no doubt some at points my anxiety it, it is a sinful distrust of, of god etc um but that's not to say every time i feel anxious or fearful or there's some kind of physiological thing inside me that it is sin and this is one of the things that i've been learning about in terms of especially for our context it's just helpful that often there's a lot of trauma and things that are behind that um so um it's not so neat so i think it's good in the church that there are people who are compassionate and there are people who want to help i don't think that's necessarily the problem in some respects that people it's not that people don't want to help i think it's just they find it hard to and i find it hard to be honest i'm a massive hypocrite my my problem is I know how difficult it is with anxiety, but when there's someone else going through it, I'm pretty impatient, to be honest. I'm just like, because it's so irrational at times. You're like, why, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like the whole kind of, um, did I lock the door type thing. It's like, yeah, you lock the door. And then like five minutes later, did I lock the door? Yeah, you lock the door. You, you, do, do you know what I mean? It's so irrational and you're just like, even as a helper, you're like, come on, like this is getting ridiculous now. Just you know you just do like I just stop worrying and that like anyone you know in that situation you can't just stop it um I think 
hopefully people will point you to the Bible. Um, so they'll point you to Philippians 4, verse 6. Uh, that's the, the classic, isn't it? Um, and Matthew 5. I think as anxious people, we know that at the back of our hand. Um, and again, sometimes that can come off as, uh, even though it's not intended to be, that comes across as, yeah, you're just a cynic and you need to believe more, have faith. Just, just It's a kind of way of shutting you up sometimes. It can be, I think. Um, maybe that's a bit unfair. You know, some people obviously are genuinely trying to be helpful. I, I think uh, I think the key thing is kind of listening to people's anxiety and what they're worried about um, uh, and asking good questions around that. And then not just saying, no, don't worry, but why why not to worry and that's where you need a bit of kind of um yeah it's good if you know some kind of passages of scripture or the law brings something to mind to say look so for example if i'm worried uh, that i'm going to be left all alone or whatever and someone can say look they can take you to hebrews or something and say look god promises he will never leave you nor forsake you that is better for me my anxiety than don't worry here's philippians 4 verse 6 because you know, if I had a better memory, I'd have it off to a tee. <laughs> I could recall that, but I basically know what's there. So I think that's that's a key um, a key way through, uh, really, and just listening. And that's part of it. It's, it's a weird thing as well with anxiety. I don't know if you found it, but if you talk about it, it gets easier. And sometimes that helps with the irrationality of it, because you're like, when you're saying the stuff through that you're struggling with, or if, if you're worrying about something which really is not too big a deal you're just like yeah this this sounds a bit you know and you it's kind of kind of therapeutic in that way and i think that's why some of these talking therapies and stuff are quite helpful why it's helpful some churches they do these groups um could be a way of outreach in terms of so something that we're wrestling through thinking about that in terms of middleton about having a group for anxiety it's just one of those things you got to be careful just to signpost to people that you're not an expert you're not uh, a trained counselor etc and this isn't uh, just because the waiting lists are long this isn't a um a substitute to go to gp or, or to a professional counselor um but this is something to that can help you and um yeah maybe even here, here's a biblical you know, would you be interested in in listening to the, to the biblical worldview about why why things are so out of control why we feel out of control and what might be going on in, in your heart and, and driving that um yeah so i think communication is a big thing like i said i think it's like anything isn't it and um that's what i love about moving into this area and the context here and what we as a middle class launch team are really working through and really trying to push each other on is just being honest and open and i think this is part of the thing so like you've said about med saying or well, welcome to our world mental health has been around in middle classes and stuff it's just very easy just to yeah and 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 just by the nature of it um people who are in that kind of class are um you know well-educated high-functioning individuals so it's very easy to mask that there's anything wrong, very easy to get through that. So it's like you've said to me before, you know, if, if someone, yeah, if someone walks into you a Bible study off the head on Coke or something, everyone in the church is gonna know basically, unless you're a bit dumb. But if you're, you know, if you're a lawyer or, or whatever and you and you come in, there's many ways that you're dealing for it over, I don't know, pornography or whatever it is, or shutting yourself. There's, there's many other destructive ways that you can go down, but you're able to mask it a bit better. Um, but yeah, that's something that I've I've appreciated here in Middleton. People are just are blunt and honest and they'll tell you. Um, yeah, they'll just tell you what, what they think, which is helpful. And I think we need to, you know, within reason, um, um, I think we need to get better as, as a church in general. Um, at being able to do that honest conversations. I think that's sad that someone in their 60s, so it's probably about 40, 50 years of their Christian life, I was the first person they met who ever had the thought, 
uh, of a lack of assurance. That is just staggering. That that's none of us, anyone listening to this, no one will put their hand up and go, oh, I believe that. That, that I was the only person. Not a chance. So that's where we need to to say get better. That sounds very kind of legalistic, but <laughs> yeah, I think that's something we can learn. And and similarly, I think for, for people coming from the outside, in terms of mission-wise, if they come in struggling with this kind of stuff and no one's talking about it, um, and they're anxious about, I don't know, COVID or whatever, and no one's prepared to put their hands up and say, look, I've been struggling with this. And they're going to think, well, I'm not good enough to come to Christ. I can't be a Christian because these guys have got it all sorted. They're not a mess like that. Um, and so they'll go away. And um, yeah, I think kind of going back to what you were saying about, I think it was Mez that said it once before with um, or someone at 20 Schemes, that, that whole thing about um, people will have problems and they will go to someone for advice. And where will they go to? So it's like with you going to the pub and getting your advice off there. It's similar now. People will get their advice from somewhere. Uh, there's going to be tons of people who are going to be looking for their advice anywhere, probably Google. But if they're on an eight-month waiting list, they are going to be looking for advice anywhere they can get it. So are we ready as a church? What what would we say if someone came through the door? And, um and yeah, and I have to say, just final sorry, I know this is going off on one now, but yeah, just again, something else that you, you're saying about the whole COVID thing and masks, I find that <clears throat> quite difficult. So for me, bizarrely, again, this whole kind of complex thing, I'm not too worried now really yeah. about masks. If, if I had the choice, I'd, I'd happily go into a shop or, or, or church and not wear a mask. We'll, I will be doing because I'm Christian and I think uh for me obviously Christians are different but for me significant we're in a third wave etc and and i want to do for me that's the loving thing to do but um i appreciate other christians will have different opinions on that that's fine but um yeah um that is something that i struggle with as well though is that especially when things kicked off and i was more anxious about it was more this kind of tone of uh like you had to be a bit of a bravado Christian, like just stuff the government and um, don't bother wearing masks and uh, I'm not scared of some virus and stuff like that. Um, and then again, that plays into the whole, well, I must be a rubbish Christian then because I'm honest, it, uh, to be honest, I was scared of the virus at the start because I, I didn't know, like us all, we didn't know at the start what it was going to do. Um, I presumed it was largely old older people that it would affect that I might be all right but again I think about death every day so I'm like right my number's up this is it so that played into my my anxiety so then that was hard then to be like well I'm to be a rubbish Christian how can I even be a pastor that was something which I struggled with how can I even be a pastor because I'd speak to people in my church and you know like you say generally they you know that for some of them it was a bit of a holiday they uh, they actually enjoyed it just a bit of a hot, uh, holiday, sit in the garden, etc., uh, on on furlough um, with a nice wage, and so, um, yeah. Sorry, yeah. just ran, my, my train of thought just went, but yeah. But it shows, doesn't it? Again, how talking about things and a lot of our anxiety is irrational, and how giving just giving a Bible verse or giving facts to us doesn't help. But when you talk through it and you can see what is irrational, it helps you. So uh, I remember a guy in the prison ministry, somebody said to him once, 95% uh, of the things you worry about never happen. And the guy replied by saying, well, it's the 5% that does that worries me. <laughs> so, yeah. Given your statistics, like with me, I'm afraid of flying. Telling me it's the safest transport doesn't help me. Facts yeah. doesn't help me. I need to see why it is irrational. Just shoving a Bible verse saying trusting God or trusting God's sovereignty won't help me. I need to talk through these things. And the more you see what, you, what you're doing or what you think is irrational, the better you help. So for me, I was really OCD prior to COVID. I never went anywhere without hand sanitizer. When all the hand sanitizer was sold out, we were okay because I had a cupboard full of it anyway. But as time's gone on, I don't even bother with it now. Because <laughs> I'm like looking at everyone else, you thinking I can't believe I used to be like that. 
And uh, yeah, it's strange. I think, uh, yeah, talking about things, un understanding what you go through rather than hiding it is, for me, has been the best thing is, is getting it out in the open. I, I'm, I'm no expert on anything, but what I have found is, is speaking about it, people listening and not even saying anything because I went to counselling. Uh, I only did four sessions. So I thought, so waste of time. Coming here doesn't say anything. But then I realised that I, the reason why I was feeling better was because I was getting things off my chest. And he maybe just asked me two or three questions. I was expecting advice from him, but he, he didn't. He just asked me questions and got me to, to, to think and put mm -hmm. things in perspective. But mate, we, we, we could we could chat all day about this. Hopefully, right. we'll again uh, a bit more specifically before we go. What resources have helped you? Uh, get through some of your struggles and some of your darkest days and, uh, and helped you to, to get a hold on this. Because you mentioned something earlier, didn't you, that uh, you've, you've realised this isn't something that might get healed. You might be with this for the rest of your life. So you mentioned about it's probably something that you've got to learn to live with rather than and manage, rather than get rid of it. So what, what resources and things has helped you to, to deal with this then? Yeah, uh, cheers, yeah. Um, so, aside from, the, if I, one of those things, if I was to go to a, a desert island somewhere and I was allowed a couple of books, I'd take the Bible, number one, that this would be, for me personally, Running Scared, it's called, by Ed Welch. Um, really helpful. So, just something you were saying then about 95%. He, early on, he talks about, um, basically, us being false prophets. And uh, you're told in the Old Testament, don't listen to false prophets. We don't listen to false prophets, and yet, um in the new testament we warn about that but yeah we are our own false prophets we we think we know the future and we catastrophize that things going wrong uh, there is a shorter thing as well it's like um very abridged version like a workbook for that called when when i'm afraid um same guy um but some questions to work through that's really helpful um this i've got um this one's come out recently uh hope in an anxious world i've not read it yet but it's by helen thorne um, and stuff I've heard or read of her before has been really good and it's cheap as chips it's about four quid um, and what I like about the look of this I've only just got it uh, but it talks about um, the lies that you can believe and I think that's pretty key in anxiety as well as concentrating on God's character and what's true there's a lot of um, lies that we believe so that's really helpful uh, and then there's um, there's something as well for those who are really struggling kind of assurance or pastors that want to help someone struggling with assurance there's a little booklet by mike emlett on ocd uh that it covers some things in there but he's got something on the journal of biblical counseling uh, if you just go to the ccf website that is massively helpful just for anyone in anxiety one one of the key phrases that i've learned off that uh which has been helpful to me is focus on what is and not what if and that's been massively helpful just in everyday life really focus on what is and not what if and um yeah so they'd be the number one places i would go to oh gee so yeah i appreciate your time and i, I appreciate your honesty and hopefully uh we'll be able to revisit this again uh, in the near future uh, but until then thank you for joining me on the in context podcast cheers mate thank you great to see you